this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Again, if I don't know you, I'm John Burwell. I was the uh, rector, that's head pastor uh, here at Holy Cross for 27 years in the 80s, the 90s, and the earlier 2000s. Uh, I was the one here when we brought Johnny over from England. Johnny, I still see you're here, and, uh, and you still have your English accent, son of a gun. <laughs> After a low these many years, buddy. And where did Trey and that group go? Trey, I have missed you. I have missed your sound of you and Patrick banging on those drums. I've just missed it so much, and I'm, gosh, it's, you're still wonderful, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. This fabulous place called Holy Cross was home to me for such a long, long time. Some of you know that back in 2014, uh, I got called to be the rector of the Church of the Redeemer in Orangeburg. Now, <laughs> Orangeburg is one of those towns that uh, you drive by on your way to Columbia or other parts north, and uh, you got to want to live in Orangeburg, and I'm telling you, most people don't want to live in Orangeburg. But if you are ever there on a Sunday, drop in and we'll do our best to make you feel right at home. I guarantee it. Okay? We'd love to have you drop in. Let's get started. Uh, For the sermon this morning, I was given a great psalm to unpack. That's Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. It's one of many, many psalms that King David wrote. There are a total of seven repentance psalms in the Psalter. And Psalm 51 just might be the greatest psalm of repentance in the entire book. We say this penitential psalm every Ash Wednesday. I don't know if you remember or not, but we, right after we've, we've put the ashes on the head there, we, we come back and we say Psalm 51. And Psalm 51, just like the rest of the psalms, was originally meant to be sung, or, or at least chanted. And that's why the psalm and a number of others have instructions for the choir master. You didn't see those in our reading this morning, but the instructions are right above this. And the, the instructions of the choir master says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, get this, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. That right there sets the tone for what follows here. Psalm 51 is David's plea, David's prayer, David's pain, David's penitence for the wrong he had done. And let me tell you, wrong, wrong, wrong it was. The actual story is recorded to us in the Old Testament books of uh, 2 Samuel, uh, chapters 11 and 12, and I, it's a good read if you want to read it. It's a tale of lust, intrigue, deception, and murder. <laughs> Sounds exactly like a Netflix uh, movie today, but uh, David was the second king of Israel, first, of course, being Saul, and uh, David was loved, loved and adored mostly for his military prowess, but uh, the Bible also intimates that uh, David was, shall we say, easy on the eyes. He was a handsome young dude. And uh, in the spring of a particular year, it, uh, the, the, the reading about them starts out, in the spring of, a, of, a, of a, the year, which was the time that kings would go into battle. Instead of going into battle, David stayed at the palace. By the way, that is a sure fire away to get yourself into trouble when you're not where you're supposed to be, and you're doing things you're not supposed to be doing, you know, idle hands and all that. David was up on the roof of his palace, and uh, he saw a woman across the way uh, bathing on a rooftop. She was the wife of one of his uh, best soldiers. And the soldier, by the way, was in battle at the time, which is exactly where David was supposed to be. 
The soldier's name was Uriah, as in Uriah Heap, and um, his wife's name was Bathsheba. Sound familiar? What happened here? David was so smitten by her that he summoned her to his palace, and then he committed adultery with her, and against her will at that. Probably just a few weeks later, Bathsheba discovered that she was with child, and and she sent word to David to let him know, and that meant that everybody would know that, that she had committed adultery because her husband was out to war. Not good for her. Remember what they, the Old Testament things were about things like that? And uh, David was the beloved king. This was not good for his PR, let me tell you. To, so to try and cover up this egregious act, this sin, David sent word to the battlefront. And he tried to arrange for Uriah to come home and spend some time with his wife, you know. And uh, Uriah had a little more honor than David did. Uriah didn't think that he deserved the luxury of coming home when all of his compatriots were out there still fighting in the battle. So he, he, uh, he, he uh, graciously declined the invitation, best thing I can say. David tried one more time. He summoned Uriah to the palace and got him drunk. And, uh, but still, Uriah resisted. So David sent Uriah back to the battle with a concealed message for the unit commander, and the message was put Uriah up close to the front of the, of the battle here, the, the, the front of the battlefield, so that he probably will get you know, an arrow or something like that, and uh, mm-hmm, mission was accomplished. After a period of mourning for her husband by Bathsheba, uh, David took her to be his wife, and uh, David thought he had gotten away with all these sins and uh, the, you know, avarice, coveting, adultery, murder. If you want to look at it, it was all, it was all ten, or the big ten. But uh, <laughs> after a period of mourning, like I said, uh, he figured he'd gotten away with it. He figured that, he figured that nobody would know what he had done. <laughs> Guess what? Somebody knew. God knew. And God was not happy about it. God told the prophet Nathan what had happened, and Nathan in turn nailed David to the wall. Took major nerve to do that. Took guts, you know, took, uh, took fortitude. Nathan rebuked David, and he informed David of what God was going to do to David and his, and his children, and his children's children, his children's children's children. But Nathan, Nathan assured David that he would not die because of his sin, because as, he, as Nathan put it, the Lord had put his sin away. Talk about amazing grace. But sin has consequences, friends. And so uh, he told David that he had scorned the Lord and that Bathsheba's child, that would be David's son, would die. To scorn the Lord is to treat him with contempt, to despise and blaspheme him. So David, in turn, writes Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a window into David's heart. He bears his soul. He cries out to God. Some of you this morning may be despising the Lord right now in the way that you're living. You may be treating God with contempt and scorn. And if you are, God wants you to turn to him today and repent. Could be that you have cried out to God in words that are similar to this psalm on the board here, on the the screens here. When you're confronted with sin, what you do is two things. First of all, you admit your failure. And number two, ask for forgiveness. Admit your failure, and then ask for forgiveness. That's all you got to do. You see Psalm 51, and I'm going to look at verses 3 and 4. They're up there, 3 and 4. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, for I know my transgressions. (laughs) Believe me, I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me, he says. Against you, oh my God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
I mentioned the boldness of Nathan to confront David about this sin. It was a huge risk. David, after all, was the king off with his head and things like that could, could have resulted. But David didn't blow up. He didn't get angry. He didn't tell David to mind, Nathan to mind his own business. He didn't even use today's favorite line. Hey, don't judge me. He didn't claim, well, everybody makes mistakes. No, David owned up to his sin, and that's what Psalm 51 is about. He says, I know my transgressions. What he's saying is, I realize what I've done. <laughs> when he says, my sin is ever before me, it's, it's on his, he says it's on his mind, day and night. It's all I can think about. What is your response? What is your response when you've been confronted by sin? Uh, either either, either you know, somebody's confronted you, either by the Holy Spirit or a fellow believer has confronted you, or, or God forbid some preacher has said something to you. Whew. What happens? Do you blow up? Do you get angry? Do you dismiss it? Do you excuse it or justify it? What have you done after similar circumstances, gone through a similar experience? And yes, we've all sinned. Do you say, well, <laughs> it is what it is, you know, whatever. Or would you, and have you, dropped to your face before God for asking for forgiveness and being brokenhearted over your sin. Which action do you think would show you repented? Oh, well, here's what it is. Everybody does it. Or, have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your steadfast love. Have mercy. Which do you think would show that you repented? And then, when David says that it's only against God he sinned, he doesn't mean that he didn't sin against Bathsheba, that he didn't sin against Uriah, her husband. It means that all sin ultimately is against God, and friends, it is. He said that what he had done was evil in God's sight. And beloved, it was, really was. All sin, all sin is against God, and all is reprehensible in his sight. Do you realize that your sin is ultimately against God? Do you realize that? That's what confession is. Confession is admitting your guilt. Maybe that you're trying to cover up your sins, kind of like David did, only to find that what it's done is stalled your Christian life. You ever been there? Ever been there? Your joy goes out the window. You're thwarting the plan that God has for you, and all of a sudden the, the uh, church services are no fun. The preacher sounds so boring. And... Uh, and uh, and I don't want to be here. And, uh, you know, I think I'll just sleep in today. Ever been there? Ever been there? You're thwarting God's progress for you. It's been said that grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. You want to find mercy? That's what David's doing here. He's asking God not to give him what he knows full well that he deserves. What do you do? You, number one, admit your failure. And then number two, ask for forgiveness. What does that look like? You ever cried out to God for have mercy on you? You ever been so devastated by your sin and ashamed of what you did that, you know, the only thing to say was, Lord, have mercy. You ever been there? I have. Verse 2, David asked God, blot out my transgressions. Wipe the record clean, folks. Don't hold it to account. Take a look at verses 7 through 12. Would you flip those up there, Robert? 7 through 12, thank you. He says, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Back then they used the hyssop plant 
the leaves aren't very, that wide, and they use the, the hyssop plant to paint like we paint with a paintbrush today. They would use, you know, the organic way. And uh, when Israel was in Egypt, they stuck hyssop leaves in the blood of a sacrificial lamb and then painted over the doorpost so that God would pass over that particular Israeli home. The Passover, you know that. Verse 9, he repeats his plea to blot out all his iniquities, and that is only what God can do. Nobody else can do that. Only God can blot out your iniquities. Sort of reminds me of the comfortable words we say in the old service, you know. If anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins. That is more than a perfect offering. It is, it is doing something that nobody else can do. Wiping them clean with the power of his blood. Beloved, I mean this. You ask for, you ask for forgiveness, God will forgive you. Not me, I've been just too... No, he'll forgive even me, even Burwell. God forgives. Go to him now. Ask him. You'll see. Then beginning in verse 10, verse 10 down there it says, uh, he, sings, he sings a song. Verse 10 he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take, me not, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Question, why are you letting Satan rob you of your freedom in God? Why are you doing that? God doesn't want a pound of flesh. Uh-uh. God wants your heart. Just like he wanted David's heart. When you sin, do you try to atone by... <laughs> I've done this. You try, try to atone by doing more religious things? You know, God, uh, <laughs> get me out of this. You bargain with God. Get me out of this, and, uh, and I'll be more faithful in my church attendance, I promise. And uh, I'll, I tell you what, I'll read the Bible. How about that? Hmm? Uh, I try to serve somewhere in the church. Would that help? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? He has already paid for your debt on the cross. It's done. There's nothing more you can do. Just go to him. Just go to him today. Do it today. Go to him before you leave this morning. Number one, admit your failure. Number two, ask for forgiveness. Freedom in the Lord is a result And yes, it's that simple. It really is that simple. He doesn't expect you now to go right back out and do it again. (laughs) You you don't get a hall pass here. It's nothing like that. But but freedom, freedom of the Lord really is that simple. Let me tell you a story that I told originally back in 2013. Some of you were here back then. It's one that you may have heard other preachers use since then. I think it underlines everything I've been saying today. Here we go. Young boy and his sister were visiting grandparents uh, one summer, and the grandparents gave the boy his very first slingshot. What a time. You know, having having such great... He practiced with it, and the the little boy got so good at it that he could actually hit a target every now and then. He could hit it right in the bullseye, you know? One day, the boy was walking in his grandmother's backyard, and he spies his grandmother's pet duck. On impulse, pow! And... The duck falls over dead. The boy panics. He hides the duck in a wood pile, only to look up and see his sister, Sally. Mm-hmm. Didn't say words, he was going, mm-hmm. Now that day at lunch, uh, they were done, and uh, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. 
Sally said, no, uh, Johnny told me that he wanted to help in the kitchen today, didn't you, Johnny? And then she says, remember the duck. Johnny did those chores and kept doing all his chores and her chores because every time she would give him this look of doom and say, remember the duck. (laughs) Finally, Johnny couldn't stand it any longer. So he confessed to his grandma that he had killed the duck. Grandmother said, I know that, Johnny. I was standing at the window when it happened. I saw the whole thing. She said, she hugged the boy. She said, but I love you, and I forgave you. You know, Johnny, I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave out of you. (sighs) Can I ask you the same question? Do you need God's forgiveness now? You can be freed. Freed with the bondage of sin. Set free to joy in the Lord in a new life of grace. Jesus made this life possible because he loves you just as you are. Not when you get good enough, just as you are right now. I don't know what's in your past, but is there some sin that the enemy keeps bringing up to you? Remember the duck. Ah. Is that happening to you? If there's something, there's something you, you feel like you've got to hide forever, that ain't me. I don't know what that is. Okay. Anyway. I just want you to know that God is ready to forgive you right now. He stands ready to forgive you. And maybe right now he's just wondering how long you're going to let the enemy make a slave out of you. The great thing about the holy cross of Christ is that because of it, God not only forgives, God forgets. Will you go to him this morning? Will you? Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really know how to talk to God, you know. I mean, I may mess it up, I may say the wrong things, or, you know, I don't have that religious these and thou's language that I need. And uh, No. Very simple. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's that simple. If you're new here at Holy Cross, just beginning your spiritual journey, you need to know that Holy Cross has trained people who can help you get just where you want to be with the Lord in your spiritual walk. And not just clergy, many great lay people are trained to help you. If you aren't already, I invite you to get in one of the local life groups that Holy Cross has for you to choose from. God promises that whenever two or three are together in His name, He will be in the midst of them. And by golly, He is. What is that? Mercy. Lord, I hear you. And uh, I pray that these words are not offending you, but... uh, Anyway, I promise you, you go to him and you'll be cleansed. And you can say just like David did, Lord, open my mouth and uh, my lips, my mouth shall declare your praise. Hey, thanks for letting me be with you today, really. uh, Remember... I really do miss you guys. Remember that not if, but when... When you have sinned, you don't have to live in a self-imposed exile. You don't. You do not have to continue to live life in misery. Admit your failure. Ask for forgiveness. That's the good news from Psalm 51. And for that good news, we can all say, thanks be to God. In the name of God, Father, Son, 
and holy ghost.